Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're doing a double header as we talk about Minute 8 and the three deleted scenes that would have come right before it. Our minute opens with Odin giving a speech and closes with two women rolling their eyes at Thor. And today is every day this week. We have Ryan Bennett of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Ryan, did you want Thor to give Loki a kiss? Uh, no, nah, I couldn't deal without that. You know, I know I'm more yeah. for the fighting. Just keep the fighting going. I don't know if I needed a kiss. I didn't. I didn't need a kiss. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, that does come from one of the deleted scenes. Not the actual kiss, but Loki saying, "Give us a kiss," and we'll get into that and a whole bunch more right after this message. We love delivering content to our listeners that's free of ads that you don't want to hear. We also love producing this show for you, but it does take time and money. Can you become our Asgardian champion and help us out by becoming a member for this season? Membership is just $5 per month, or you can get a discount if you join for a year. Members get bonus content, early access to shows, access to live streams, and more. You can learn more at truestory.fm slash Minute. We once again now have Odin, uh, you know, give, telling his sons about things. I might call it pontif- pontificating a little bit, but ha- sharing wisdom with them. And he talks about how the wise king never seeks out war. This, to me, feels like a very important moment, uh, especially given kind of what Thor does pretty soon. What What did you take away from uh, what Odin has to say here? Um, yeah, I love this. I love this setup here because he's very much saying, OK, pay attention to my words. Because you're going to see how I have very mm-hmm. two different sons and what they're going to do. So I love that. I love that setup in here. It does seem like he's speaking to their future versions, right? He's yeah. uh, a wise king, never seeks out war, but he must always be ready for it. It, it, it I mean, you know, it's, it's a parental thing. You're like giving advice to right. your kids. And so to that, right. to that extent, I think that it's uh, nice, especially in context of the way that, I mean, if you think about everything we've been hearing from, um, from Anthony Hopkins over the last several minutes, it's all been this long tale that he's been kind of telling his sons, right? And to that end, this is kind of the, um, the, uh, moral of the, right. of the story, as it were, after he get, kind of gets through the whole thing. So I like the way that it unfolds. And to me, I think there's something sort of very, this concept of, you know, a noble warrior, must only use their their weapon for defense, you know, things like that. You never start the war. That's something we see pop up in all sorts of mythology. You know, when I when I hear him say that, I think of, you know, a Jedi must only use the force for defense, never for attack. Like, I think it's a very common kind of mythological idea and one that makes a lot of sense. And now, of course, we also, as we were walking past, we got a first shot of Mjolnir. Uh, what, what's your kind of thought seeing that hammer for the first time? Ooh, what's he going to smash first is my first thought. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder as I see Mjolnir, it's it's on a pedestal opposite the Eternal Flame here, kind of at the far end of Odin's vault. It made me wonder a, a few things. One, I mean, it it will obviously become Thor's uh, weapon of choice after some time, but it made me wonder. Okay, so it's in the vault. Did Odin have it made, and he's just kind of holding it here, waiting for the day that he gives it to Thor? Um, is it, it was like, uh, you know, I don't know what the backstory is because this is where he kind of keeps his treasures or potential things that could lead to Ragnarok, i.e. 
the uh, casket of ancient winters. Later, we'll see uh, searchers, uh, you know, the crown, all these different things that we'll kind of see over time um, that could potentially lead to Ragnarok. Mjolnir really isn't that. So I get, I, I kind of have the sense that he's just kind of storing it here, which is kind of interesting. It also makes me wonder as we see Mjolnir, it was Mjolnir always something that only the worthy could hold, or is it later in the film when we see Odin kind of cast a little spell on it? That's the moment that this whole idea of you have to be worthy to hold it comes into play. Like at this point, can anybody come down here and pick it up? Yeah, was Mjolnir always going to be Thor's? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't even think about it. They don't really yeah, explore that. It's right, just like it's right. something that's his, but it's like, was that always the destined to be his? Yeah, it's a very interesting question, especially because... uh Again, here, we're pretty far from the mythology. And the mythology, I'm just going to tell this story because it's a kind of fun tie-in to something we just saw in Loki, the TV show. Uh, for any of you who've seen that, there's a scene where Sif is very upset because Loki has cut her hair. And so in the mythology, that is a part of the myth. And in the myth, Thor, who is married to Sif, by the way, which is a very different part of the story that we'll, we'll talk about when we get into Sif, but he demands that Loki, like, fix her hair somehow— so Loki goes to the dwarves, and there's this whole long story about what happens there, but he gets the dwarves to make a number of different treasures, one of which is, as far as I can tell, the first wig that was ever made, because it's just this perfect crest of hair. And then the other is, one of the others is Mjolnir. Oh. So it's, it's made, and an adult mm. Thor is like, oh, that's a hammer. I'm a god who likes to hammer things. That sounds like a good thing for me. So yeah, very <laughs> different kind of origin here, and I'm curious. Where that comes from in the comics? Did you find anything in the comics about this? Uh, like I said, in the comics, it was this cane that was lying in a cave that, <laughs> when he would hit it, would turn into Mjolnir. It, they've totally changed the way that I mean, and again, it evolves over time in the comics and and everything. But I, I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of fun to see the way that they kind of play with that. Like, I would say that in the world of the comics, they pull what they feel like would help their story from the Norse mythology. Otherwise, they're just making it all up. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes total sense. And so Odin then goes on and says, only one of you can ascend to the throne. Both of you were born to be kings. And I thought that's a very interesting line that could be read a bunch of different ways. What, what do you think he means there? This is where I get to that point where I start questioning the way that he's parenting these kids. It's like, only one of you gets to be king, but both of you were born to be kings. Like, right. it's like, I don't know, is he like pushing them to hate each other? It's such a strange way to kind of... To, to kind of say that, I, I don't know, I just, I find that so odd that he pushes it that way. And and it certainly is different, I would say, to that extent, because it, or from what you would say from our versions of royalty, where it's the firstborn male who typically was the son, the, the one who had become king. Um, right. Obviously, that's kind of changed and, and, you know, off and on over time, but it was generally the firstborn who would become king. So to that extent, it would have been Thor, although later we learn it would have been Hela. But he says both of you were born to be kings. And that's an actually an interesting line because he's also kind of, in some sense, giving away the fact that Loki's not his kid, right? He's saying, technically, you're kind of the, king, you're the kid of this king of the frost giants that I, I stole you from. Um, we don't know that at the time, but it's an interesting thing that he's saying here because it is a little bit of a reveal if you really think about it. Yeah, yeah. I was, I definitely felt like it was on his and his idea, like a bad idea as a father at the, the way he phrased it because you see them both run up and you're like, oh yeah, it could be me, mm, but it can only be one. 
because nobody knows, you know, like nobody is yeah. cool foreshadowing because like you said, we don't know, like like Andy's pointing out, we didn't know that going forward, but he is technically a king already. So they could both be king, but they don't know that they're not fighting yet about this, you know? The second half of that statement, I could read as Odin kind of saying, look, like, you know, the rules are that only one of you can be king, and we all know that's Thor. But he's kind of saying, Loki, like, you could be just as much of a king as Thor. You know, he's trying. But that's not how he says it. And the way he says either, you know, the way he says only one of you, without being clear that who it is, it makes me sound like the auditions are still right. open. You know, yeah, like, right. it's not clear. <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, this is not an Odin fiddled with wisdom. Definitely, because if you've spent any time with 10-year-olds, you know what what kind of thing this is going to lead to. Yeah, just I just wonder. Th- like I start worrying, worrying at this point. I start questioning o- Odin's uh, parenting. Right, right, and I think you're right. Also, like if I'm Loki, like if I don't become ki- what did what did he mean? I'm born to be a king. Like that's going to open some real questions. Yeah. Right. Can I also add to Anthony Hopkins did a, a like fabulous job in this. Like you can't. I I know after watching Thor, I can't see him as anything else but Odin. And I I remember hearing like a, a behind the scenes thing where he was kind of giving up because you know he's like I mean he doesn't need the money. He's been in tons of roles uh, where he was going to give up mm-hmm. doing this, and it, you know he was able to be to be convinced to do this. So that was I think he did like a phenomenal job in this. That's actually a great point because I do remember him saying that he had actually gotten very mm-hmm. lazy with his performances, like you know he wasn't getting pushed and he said Kenneth Branagh actually pushed him um more than a lot of directors had and he said he's uh he, he'd gotten lazy and and this kind of got him out of that which I thought was actually really interesting because it's not the lead role but it's interesting that this you know whatever Kenneth Branagh was doing on set got him kind of out of that rut absolutely yeah definitely now we move into the coronation and the first thing I think is we're in a throne room basically Hildskajalf Hilds is, is that Am I am I anywhere close, Andy? I think it's Lid, Lids, Lidskjalf. Lidskjalf, thank you. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of it looks like almost a coliseum. Like, t- t- you know, to me, what what was your sense of kind of the room that we're in? Like, it, it's where he's going to be uh, anointed, and it looks like just everyone from Asgard has turned out to watch this. Well, what's interesting in the script is it's it's not only people from Asgard. It, the script actually says the Aesir, which is you know that that's kind of like uh, Odin and his family. And representatives from all across Yggdrasil, which that was the first I ever had a sense of that, just from reading that in the script. It's like, are they inviting Midgardians? Are the, you know, is there a frost giant representative here? Like, uh, who's coming here <laughs> from across Yggdrasil that's here at the, at the coronation? Like, it's, it's not ever made clear visually. I think that's one of those things they decide, you know what? Let's just have them all dress up as Asgardians and not worry about that. Because none of them look different, they all look like they're all the same group of people. Yeah, and so many. Yeah, it's, it's that 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 scene to that is is like amazing. Just like so many people, you're like, oh my gosh, who is who? Like, well, who's grouped off? But I guess that's the point. So you can't tell. So they can kind of run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It did make me. It reminded me of. Um, I, I think it was Monty Python's Life of Brian when um, it's um, what is the thing? The Jesus on the Mount is that the one where. Jesus is talking, but it's all the people in the very back and they're trying to listen and they're like, did he say something? And they're just having their own conversation because they can't even hear what's happening on the other end of the room. And it felt like that because I'm like, can these people in the back, can they even see what's happening? Because I can barely see what's happening. (laughs) I mean, I know they might be gods, but... (laughs) If they can make buildings float, I think their amplification technology has (laughs) got to be pretty good. You know, it's got to be better than like the 
the scratchy announcer you hear at a, uh, a rock concert or something like that. Right. <laughs> and, and so now we do get our first shot of the uh, the hero of the story, or at least the main the protagonist of the story, Thor. And I think it's such an interesting shot because we enter in first just seeing his back. You know, we see what I honestly thought was kind of like there must be like a steel rod, like a curtain rod holding up his cape because it's such a perfect line. <laughs> till you realize, no, that's just the way his shoulders are built. This like, you know, ridiculous god of a man, mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth. And and then, of course, we get him walking in and, and kind of striding in in all his glory, throwing the hammer up in the air and catching it. We want to talk about Thor first or Chris Hemsworth first? Man, that's a good question. I guess I'll Chris uh, just about how cute Chris Hemsworth is, or you mean like actual? <laughs> I mean anything about it. Like we are all for thirst on this podcast. We're gonna, we have a guest coming on later who just does the thirst section on the MCU cast, so we'll get a lot of that. But yeah, the cuteness, the 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 sense of him. I know we got an IMDb game to play. Whatever we're gonna do with Mr. Hemsworth. Yeah, he he played this. He played Thor, where you feel so many different emotions at different times in this film. I feel this one. I was feeling like he was mm-hmm. definitely bringing like the arrogant, like yes, I am a god. I have arrived. Why do you not know who I am already? Um. So yeah, he did. He definitely was spot on in this in this moment. He was definitely putting on a show. What you know, what he was there in this in this moment to do. He's clearly kind of that cocky arrogant you know yes i'm the son of odin sort of thing he's i mean he's really playing it up here the way that he's he's building the crowd up he's raising his hammer to get them to cheer like he's totally the sort of person who gets the crowd to get riled up you know as he does this like he's he's waving his hammer he's spinning it in the air and all this sort of stuff it's like oh yeah and and you really get a sense of that with this character here and even when you see uh lady sif and frigga their reactions to him are like ah here he comes making his entrance you know and one of the things that uh, geek fans like myself and probably all of us love to do is fan casting. You know, we're talk about, oh, this character, what actor or actress that we know would be fantastic to play them. And Hemsworth, if I remember correctly, was fairly unknown. And yeah. mm-hmm. to me, I feel like th- this is kind of the hesitancy I always have with fan casting is, to me, one of the things that makes it work is I've never seen Hemsworth before. I'm not thinking, oh, yeah, it's that guy from this who's now Thor. All I see him is, is like, he just strides in. I'm like, yes, he looks like a Norse god. Like, that's, and, and now I don't, like, I hope he has a wonderful career after the MCU. I think he was hilarious in Ghostbusters, where he was very much <laughs> playing against his trope, um, but still very much playing a himbo. I mean, he defined the role to begin mm-hmm. with. But, but yeah, to me, it kind of is, is a good reminder of, like, sometimes it's good to take someone who isn't well-known, because then they can just be fully the part, and, and you're never going to see them as anything else while they're in the MCU. He was certainly known in in Australia because he was this soap opera actor in a show called mm-hmm. Home and Away, uh, 189 episodes of that particular show. So, I mean, he was seen a lot by that particular group of people, but the rest of the mm-hmm. world, yeah, they, they hadn't seen much of him. And I think um, it, one of his brothers also had auditioned. I think it was Liam. And so I... I I I don't know. I think that it would have been interesting. I you know I always am interested in like how these Hemsworth brothers all kind of end up in these different roles. It's like are they all going out for them and then exactly. just like hoping one of yeah. them gets it? <laughs> I, I mean, if, if if you're telling me that Chris Hemsworth had a brother who wanted the same glory and role that Chris got but didn't get it, like okay, so clearly Chris is bringing in some of his own life into his performance of of Thor with Loki. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, I think this, I was going to say, I just think this definitely set him up as the, as an action star. 
like not knowing him and seeing him in this. And then you always have to see him go big or go home. I feel like after this, cause he's always Thor, like in your minds, like if you can't separate it as a fan, when you see him, you're like, Oh, there goes Thor. So it's like always now yeah. that, that, that kind of idea. Um, and just, um, seeing him on extraction, um, like some of his action films. Now I always expect that. I feel like after seeing him in this role, I expect him to go action and go big and, and take it, you know, as far as it needs to go as a, as an actor now. Mm-hmm. Well, and he has played some other things. So, Andy, do you want to take us into the... Yeah, to that end, let's do the IMDb game with Chris Hemsworth. So, if if you both had to pick what IMDb says, what four films IMDb says that he is known for, any guesses? Uh, I'll let you as our go- guest go first. Oh, man. I, I go first <laughs> if, you want, if you want me to. I mean, but all, all I would guess are the ones we've already mentioned. Thor, obviously. Yeah. Ghostbusters, because I think he's he's a very well known for that part. This Australian show that I don't know if any of you have ever heard of called Home and Away, which I know that he was in because I I know all these things. Um, the one Andy just mentioned is my joke. <laughs> he was in some Netflix movie that came out like right as the pandemic was starting, and I remember people were just like, "Oh my god, we have content we can watch while we're." Stuck I think it was a- Extraction. That's the one I was mentioning. Or at least it was another one. I yeah. know Extraction was one. I know. Um, yeah, that would be my guess. Was it? Was it a specific Thor? I'm just gonna put all of the words. I wonder if it's, a, it's like I'm thinking like Thor Ragnarok or something. No, it, it's very specific. So I mean, he's been in you know all the Avengers movies plus all the Thor movies. Uh, plus, he had a cameo in Doctor Strange, oh, so yeah. he's been in a number of MCU films. Oh, okay. So if we're just then, I would guess we're just guessing the MCU films are the top. Well, I, I would then say Ragnarok, Avengers, Infinity War, Endgame, and Ghostbusters would be my guess. Oh, you're throwing five in there. Cut one of those out. I'll, I'll pick Infinity. I'll pick uh, Infinity War instead okay. of Endgame. Uh, I'll go Ragnarok, Endgame. I'm just going to throw a extraction there because I feel risky, but I don't know if that was one of his top ones. And then um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think if there's something else. I guess I had to go with Ghostbusters. I can't think of any. I know it's going to bug me because I can like see him in other films, but it's not popping out to me right now as other action films. So yeah, that'll be my order then. Mm-hmm. I'll just throw, I'll throw Ghostbusters in at the end. Okay. Well, you're, uh, the Avengers was in there. So, um, uh, so you get a point for that, uh, Matthew. Thor Ragnarok was second. So you both get a point for that one. Third, neither of you remembered that he was in this movie, but this is a probably one of those ones that you were trying to think of, Ryan. That's like, I know he was in something else. Snow White and the Huntsman. He played the Huntsman oh, in that film. Yes. Yes. I totally forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one is, it's interesting because it was before all of this, but, and it's a very small part, but it kind of became a big, kind of a key part. It, he, it was when he played George Kirk in Star Trek, the, yeah. uh, the reboot. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, so those are the four films that Chris Hemsworth is known for. Interestingly, Thor's not on there, but you still have two appearances as Thor on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. As we said, kind of the defining moment for him is where he just tosses the hammer in the in the air, catches it, uh, hamming it up. And then we meet one of my favorite characters uh, in this movie, especially from her reaction right here, Lady Sif. <laughs> you know, rolling her eyes and she says, oh, God, or whatever she said. Oh, please. Uh, oh, please. Yes, thank you. Um, what? What what do you kind of get from from her character just in this one moment? I love her. I love any of these women in these in these um uh in the MCU because it's I feel like this is kind of the moment where they were slowly kind of getting worked into the MCU where they put the they get to put the mm-hmm. heroes in their place a little bit there, um and like they need somebody to kind of check them, especially like a Thor, somebody that's on the side that's not going to let them go too far and remind them who they are. Also, I forgot Jamie Alexander was this big in this in this Thor like until like because I didn't remember to like Loki her coming back. I totally forgot she was part right. of this. She was part of the MCU. 
So I, I, I guess maybe now I wish she had more. I wish there was more of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does get to pop up in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a couple times, so which was kind of fun. But I like her in this. I can't help but feel, and I, you know, we're going to talk about the deleted scenes here in a minute, but I can't help but feel like at the beginning of the film, I had no sense of importance as to who she was. And so to me, it was just like, especially at this point, this is the first time we see her. It's like, who is this person who's just kind of rolling her eyes at Thor? It must be somebody he knows or some girl that he likes. Like, I just, I didn't have a good sense of it. And I, I wish that I had had a better context for, for her, but I still, I really enjoy her as the character Lady Sif. And uh, Jamie Alexander is, uh, I think that, you know, she certainly, I, I don't know, works well in this role. Yeah, I have so many mixed feelings about her role, especially because the way she's introduced, I kind of always wanted them to do a lot more with her. And I, we'll get into this later, but I do feel like kind of she winds up becoming the girl who has a crush on Thor, but he never notices mm-hmm. because he's now so into Jane. Uh, and, and it's interesting because given the history of the character, uh, in mythology, Lady Sif is Thor's wife. Uh, is not a warrior at all. She's a goddess of fertility and, and the harvest. And, and also just kind of one kind of fun little historical note. Uh, Sif, the word also appears in Beowulf, a, a version of the word in, in the Old English version of Beowulf uh, as uh, Hrugar's wife uh, is kind of referred to as Sif. And so there's some thought that like the connection between the Germanic Scandinavian religions and, and the Old English ideas happening in Beowulf. Also in the um in in the mythology, it's very important that she's golden haired. So I thought it was interesting that she's a brunette in this. I think also she is in the comics. But kind of back to the character and kind of what you were saying, Ryan, we're hopefully getting better about representation of women in the MCU with Captain right. Marvel and uh Wanda and like some of the other people who appeared in, in, in those things. But there's a reason why a lot of you know, one of the biggest critiques of Marvel was often in the early days that if they wanted to put a woman in the movie, they kind of just gave us a woman who looked pretty and could kick everyone's ass and said some witty, snarky things because she wasn't going to take anything from anybody, but never really had any characterization beyond right. that. And I, I do think Stiff is pretty prime example of that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, the way that they had her in the script, we'll, we'll talk about the deleted scene with her introduction in a second. But when she's putting her weapons down, she's I mean, she's saying something like, goodbye, my loves, or something so silly to her weapons that I'm just, I, I don't know, that was a big eye roll, but I'm like, oh, this is one of those things where, uh, to your point, like, they, they need to make her like this tough warrior who says these these quippy lines, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah, I'll miss you, is what she says. Eesh. Although, it is nice that she gets to be the one, a little bit her mother, but I feel like a very different, like, like she seems the one, you know, that, that one friend who sees through all of Thor's nonsense, yeah. you know, yeah. who yeah. who just... Everyone else is just like, oh, Thor, you're a god. And she's just like, oh, come on. Like, you know, he's just a person. Right. <laughs> Jamie Alexander, just so you know, for IMDb, Thor, yep. Thor the Dark World, The Last Stand, that was uh, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and Collision, which I've never heard of. Hmm. Good to know all these people are getting more work. Yep, yep. So the last thing I want to uh, talk about in, in terms of this minute itself, and then we'll get into the deleted scenes. To me, what's very interesting is, is Sif is definitely kind of rolling her eyes. And you get the sense that this isn't like she's mad at him. It's it's a kind of like, uh, he drives me crazy, but he's still a good guy. So I kind of tolerate him. Frigga is kind of rolling her eyes a little bit, but that kind of, I get the sense that this is a mother who spoiled her child quite a lot. You know, it was very like, oh, Thor, you shouldn't do that, but you're just so wonderful. I'm never, you know, I'm never going to actually make a deal of it. Is that that kind of sense you got from Frigga? Yeah, she's like, she's always very much like, I, I got you, but just not right now. Like, your dad's watching. 
you're an ass watching. Like, don't yeah. do this right now. Like, come <laughs> come back later. We'll do this later. You know, like she's like the mom that'll give you like the the, the snack off to the side because she knows like mm-hmm. just to keep you quiet because she knows it's gonna go down, but she's not gonna like reprimand you in the moment. Yeah, she's she's totally that mom. You know, just the way she kind of gives him those big eyes, like, ugh. <laughs> Here he comes, my <laughs> oaf of a son. Yeah, that's kind of cute. <laughs> so any other last comments about this minute itself before we dive into the deleted scenes? Well, it's worth pointing out, again, Kenneth Branagh's continuing the Dutch angles. We get a lot of these just as Thor's walking down the row of, uh, we should point out, these are the Einherjar honor guard that we have mm-hmm. lining this here. We'll see the Einherjar guards all through the palace. They were the people who were fighting on on. um on Jotunheim, that's just what they're called. But again, the Dutch angles are everywhere. We just have a lot of that. It's very much a comic book style that Brana took on, and I I like it. I think it works. Yeah, I think it's definitely working, especially for this. You know, this is the world that's kind of different from anything that we, the audience, can understand and yeah. relate to. All right, so uh, let's get into the first deleted scene. Uh, and Andy, since our our, li- our listeners may not have seen it, do you want to give them just a quick description of what happens? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, this is a scene, and these are all on YouTube. People have found, you know, ripped them and put them there. So if you want to search around, you, you can probably find them. This first one, all three of these technically take place between the flat or between young Thor and young Loki talking with Odin in the vault and the coronation. And there's more even scripted in the coronation. But this first scene is between Thor and Loki in the ante room before they head out into the throne room. And this is really would have been the introduction of Thor. He comes in from the shadow, grabs a wine goblet, takes a sip, throws it into the fire, screams another, which is such a great thing that he does later (laughs) in the film. Um, And then he's lit by this burst of flame that kind of lights him. And that would have been our first meeting of Thor. And then we also meet Loki. And this is a great introduction of Loki where we've got him coming from behind this big banner and you can see the shadow of his helmet's horns as he kind of comes around. And it's a great introduction. The two of them have a chat that really kind of sets the stage for them being brothers, having spent time together. This whole banter about nervous brother and the, have you ever known me to be nervous? Well, there was that time in Nornheim, and like they have this whole conversation. It's very cute. And then a servant comes in with another wine goblet, and Loki uh, turns the wine into eels and makes this guy drop it. And um, and then he leaves, and then somebody brings Thor his helmet with the wings on it. They talk. You know, Loki makes fun of him for having uh, the big, you know, winged helmet, and. Lo- and Thor makes fun of Loki for his cow helmet, and and then, <laughs> but then there's actual moment of genuine um, kind of uh, connection between them. As Loki says, you know, I've you know, I, I I do love you, I and I'm very proud of you. Sometimes I may be jealous, but I've been very much looking forward to this moment for you. And it's a it's a touching moment, and it's that's kind of the first little scene we have here. Ryan, I want to get into your thoughts about this minute, but let me start for a question for both of you. Because I feel like every it, Andy, it's interesting you talk about this as this touching moment. Because I feel like the thing we have to learn about Loki is that anytime he opens his mouth, the question is, "Do you believe him?" And it sounds like you certainly think that he's being um, completely honest in this moment. Well, let's just say I think he's being genuine here, but that doesn't mean that he's not willing to to change things up as needed uh, to get what he wants. <laughs> right. What What about you, Ryan? Did you take him as being genuine in this moment? Yeah, I think the, the, him turning the, the snakes into the cup is the whole, like, explains all of Loki where he can, like, say one thing. And he's like, you know, I kind of mean the first part, like the first two or three words, but I don't necessarily, uh, necessarily mean the last part of the sentence. 
So, um, but yeah, I, I feel like he, I feel like he does have a brother in a sense. He cares about his brother in a sense of, okay, we've grown up, we we're in the same room, but he it's things about, uh, Thor. I think you see in this moment that he's never going to be able to get over, but I do like, you know, in the MCU, I do like, we don't know that though. You know, as we go on the film, I do like they kind of deleted this and saved it for later because it gives you more of a of a shock factor when it comes to Loki, just how far he's willing to go. You know, despite he keeps saying, this is my brother, this is my family. But then again, I want to do this. I want to I want to flip the script and do this because I still should rule Asgard and you shouldn't. So I, I like that secrecy that this this scene like, um, you know, with it in there, we would we wouldn't have that secrecy and that and that like that fight between them that we get as these as these Thor movies continue, as these Avengers movies continue. I, I'm a little more cynical, I think, than both of you, because I, I keep focusing on the fact that Loki would know that frost giants are sneaking in to the throne room right now because of him. <laughs> and so this is a very good time to make sure Thor really likes him. But I, I, I think, I think there's definitely some truth there. And I think that, you know, that whole like a truth within a lie, especially because I think what we're going to later learn is that the person who's probably most confused about how Loki actually feels about Thor is Loki. So I think, yeah, there could be some truth to this as well. Well, and, and you know, this is a deleted scene that uh, I think actually I'm going to say this about all these deleted scenes. I kind of wish they kept this whole run of them in here. Like, if anything, I've always felt that this beginning of the film was very rushed, like getting into this coronation and everything. I mean, and they get it. They're trying to kind of keep the energy up in the film. But at the same time, like, I could have used this moment between these two just to get a sense of their relationship now as they're older and to kind of just have more there. So when the betrayal happens later, I just felt more for it. What was your sense, Ryan? Would you want the scene or not? Because I, I, I think I'm kind of against the scene because I feel like it gives me such a negative view of Thor. To me, he just comes off as such a jerk in this scene. But but what's your yeah, take? Yeah, and I just, I, like I said, I, again, I'm more of, um, and maybe I don't want to know everything behind the curtain as a sense is why I don't want the scene. But I, I like how we get to see their relationship. To me, when when Loki takes the actions that he does and when he does turn, it's more of a blow because I don't know this. Like, we don't see this. We're thinking like we know there's something hidden there, but we don't know the full extent. And with this scene, you get to know like he I mean, I feel like he's basically giving him a warning, like, look, I'm gonna come for you in the future. We're cool right now, but I you know some things about me, so just be ready. So that 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 forewarning there. But um the one thing do I do like about the scene though is they give you that little fun trickery about his about his powers, about his magic, about Loki that we don't get all the time. Like it's always so serious or him trying to like, you know, turn himself into like 50 of them so he can like duke somebody else out. It's never that like little fun, like little kind of quirky magic that you don't get from him. Yeah, I think I'm with you, Ryan, about I think I I do without the scene. The one shot though that I think is perfect, I think you're right, the the little bit of magic is great, as well as the kind of little bit of tricksterness there. But also Thor, very briefly, we see him in silhouette and shadow behind the screen. But for Loki, there's like a good three seconds of him kind of walking in, but we only see him in shadow. And I do think that's such a great kind of comment on his character and where his character is going to go. So I also just have to point out, we haven't brought it up yet, but the fact that they dyed Chris Hemsworth's eyebrows for all for the entirety of this film, I struggle looking at him at his face through this whole film because I'm always like his, the coloring just never looks right to me. And it's very frustrating for me. And it's very noticeable in this scene because you do spend so much time with the two of them just oh, chit chatting. Now I'm going to look at it. Now it's got me. I'm going to look at it now. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Uh, our guest who's coming on for the next five minutes, uh, Ashley Coffin, uh, which we'll be doing next week, has very strong opinions of that. She does a, a, a lot of stylist work, and so she has a lot of thoughts about like how hair and makeup is done for movies like – hair and makeup are done for movies like this. So yeah. we'll definitely get into that. <laughs> uh, so what happens in uh, the, deleted, the second deleted scene? The second deleted scene, this is our introduction really to Lady Sif and the Warriors 3. And we see basically it's just kind of a, a cute, quick little moments with each of them that kind of gives us a hint as to their personalities. We see Volstog as he is trying to get some food off of some some trays that different servants are carrying only to discover, hey, I've got a grape that somehow got stuck in my beard. I'll eat this instead. Then you have um, uh, Hogan the Grim coming in very grim, very serious, and he puts one of his blades into the arm of his armor. And then last, we have Fandral, who is being fawned over by four women as he's just kind of looking at himself in a mirror. And then he says, now, who wants to polish my sword? Super cheesy, super Fandral sort of thing. And then Lady Sif, this is that moment I mentioned where she's putting all of her weapons down on the, they have to, it's it's one of those Old West sorts of things where they have to turn in their weapons before they head into the coronation. And she's putting all of her weapons down and uh, she has a lot of them as they go in. And then they have a, a brief chat up at the head of the throne room where all of them are kind of the different people in line waiting for Thor's entrance. And so it's just, it's a nice moment to get a sense of who these characters are. Yeah, I think that's a great description. Ryan, so what was your sense of the scene? What'd you get out of it? I like this scene. I would have kept this scene in just because you wanted more of a sense of who the audience is going into the throne room. You know, who's exactly um, part of his warrior group and all that kind of stuff. You get more of Lady Sif here. I would have I exited out some of the cheesy lines, though. I think some of those <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't really, I didn't really care for. Um, you know, some of those lines like with uh with Andy talking about with Lady Sif putting there on her um weapon and um yeah, a lot of those like or like the sword, the sword line, a lot of these are very cheesy that I probably would have left out, but I do like the intro. I that would have slowed this down, this whole intro of him going in and and um, you know, the throne room and the ceremony, it would have kind of paced it out a little bit slower. So we get the new we get to actually care about, you know, this group more, this crew more as it goes along. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I think um, I could do without the cheesy lines. Um, in original mythology, Thor is a redhead, as am I. And so having the heavyset redhead, who also is me, being so focused on their appetite, needing the grape out of their beard, you know, come on. A little ginger respect here, please. Um, but yeah, I think it, it gives me a better sense of who they are. And on the one hand, like at first I was like, oh, like giving us this incredibly like one second stereotype of each character seems kind of silly. But then I remember the kind of story we're telling. And that's a thing that you would often see in these kind of like high drama Shakespearean tile things is the main characters get to have depth. But then there's like the person who says the funny thing when they're drunk right. and the person who's always doubtful and the person who's always, you know, hitting on everybody. And like that's a part of that kind of, you know, um, dramatic world. And so I think actually the Warriors 3, having them be like, this guy is just grim. This guy is just hungry. This guy is basically a narcissist. Like, it kind of fits the kind of story they're trying to tell. Yeah, it really does. Uh, it, and I like their introductions. Like, yes, I agree with you. The cheesy lines could have been left out or reworked. So at least they weren't so super cheesy. Uh, and perhaps that is why they cut them. But I really, like, I could have used this. To my point earlier about when we first see Lady Sif in the in the minute, it's like, I'm just like, who is this? Am I supposed to know? Like, I had no sense of it. And at least if I had this, I would have gone, okay, so this is the Warriors 3 and Lady Sif. 
and I, I would have at least had a context for them as the film progresses. So I, I kind of would have liked this. Um, to your point about Lady Sif being kind of a rewrite of her version in Norse mythology, uh, Hogan the Grim, Fandral, and Volstagg were all comic book creations. None of them had actually ever appeared anywhere. And they always were kind of this cheesy. I mean, that's kind of the way that they wrote them. Volstagg, I mean, Volstagg was enormous. And he would use that. It was just such a comic book thing that probably appealed to the youngest readers. You know, he would often just like sit on somebody as a way to kind of like um, stop them during battle or something. You know, it's just, it was very, very silly. So to that end, at least they're a little less over the top like they were in the comics. Gotcha. Any other kind of last comments about the scene of, of what it does or doesn't say? Good, just less cheesiness. But I like, but I, but I want to kept it. <laughs> yeah, only time I want less cheese. Yep. Andy, tell me about uh, the deleted scene number three. The third one, this is Thor and Frigga. And this is about Thor when he's about to head out there. And Frigga is in the shadows and she comes out and they have a, a conversation about, you know, again, going back to this whole thing about him being nervous. And he's like, why does everybody think I'm nervous? And then Frigga has uh, kind of a great line about how, hey, don't forget, you have something even the Allfather doesn't have. Me for a mother. And that's kind of a nice little play. It's it, To me, this ends up being the least effective of the three because it's the shortest and it just doesn't, there's not as much meat to like why this would have been here, like what this conversation really would have been delivering. But at least we get to see the the interaction between these two characters. Yeah, it didn't It didn't feel like it had a had a huge place. Like, I feel like, you know, you already got the MCU that's like two, two hours or more when they do a film. So it would have just added like more time that you're just sitting here trying to get through it. But I do, I just would have liked this scene just because I want more of like Frigga in just Renee Russo in this in this role like I just want to hear more from her and I guess that's to your point Matthew we were talking about some of the female characters early on in the MCU like I just would have wanted more from her scene not like this added a lot because it's still like her just going up the door like hey this is what I told you you know earlier today and you know she's still in the mom role but it just made you always so curious about these different female characters and just wanted to see more about them more for them and I, and I think it's great that we, you and I have such different opinions here because I think this is the scene I would most want in because to me, I get two big things, well, three big things out of it. One is, as you were saying, just more about Frigga. But the second is, I feel like I, I like knowing that not only does everyone think Thor is nervous, but with his mother, he can admit that he is a little bit, you know, because so much of what we're seeing is the braggadocio and the, like, I remember I didn't really like Thor as a character much the first time I watched this movie until a lot later. And I think this would have... I need a better word for an Asgard, Asgard, I want to say humanized him, Asgardianized him, I guess that's <laughs> the term, I don't know what I should say, but both for the, like, that he could actually be nervous, but also that he doesn't know himself very well right, right now, like, he's not, when he says to people, I'm not nervous, he's saying that to himself as much as anyone else, and I, I think that's a really important moment for the character, but you're right, it's also, it's like, I mean, you could want every scene in the movie, and then you're like, wait, why was in this movie theater for three hours? This is ridiculous. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I just have to say, it, you kind of already brought it up, Ryan, but uh, Renee Russo, I mean, she looks gorgeous here. Yes. Mm -hmm. the, uh, this yeah. is where you get a much better view of kind of like that full dress that they put her in. It is just stunning. Right. And she just, I mean, she looks regal. She really does. Which I think also speaks to this idea that is very much a part of the this world that like, yes, you have a childhood and you grow up and, and presumably you do age at some point, but you know, you are going to stay in that. She's obviously looked, uh, she looks older than Thor and Loki, but the way she looks, it really speaks to this kind of almost elven quality right. of, of the, uh, right. um, you know, that they are kind of eternal, that they're not aging, yeah. you know, that they, they, 
they she looks stately and matronly, but not like, you know, Hollywood is often very cruel in how it portrays like, okay, well, you're the mother. So we have to kind of show you in this particular way. And I think here it's very not happening, very much not happening. Yeah, you look very like old and like, oh, I'll put you in a corner. Nobody talks to you. And she's like very approachable. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm thinking of the the original Tobey Maguire Spider Man. We're like, is that Aunt May or is that like great great exactly Aunt May? I, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly yeah great point yeah yeah well exactly. and that's straight out of the comics which I never understood because there she looked like she was practically a skeleton it was so yeah. strange yeah. but Mar- Marissa Tomei is my favorite for sure mm-hmm. so okay any other last comments about any uh, this kind of overall minute eight and the different scenes that that we that we would have had as part of it the only other thing that uh, we kind of hinted at in the last minute is. Theoretically, Odin is a little sick. He's got this need for this Odin sleep, which, you know, again, was in the script. It wasn't portrayed anywhere here, but it does speak perhaps to why Odin looks so, so serious um, Mm -hmm. when we do see him right at the very end. And older. This is really the first time we see older Odin, right? So having these two sons really kind of gave him all of his grays. (laughs) (laughs) Which which I think is a really important thing to tell us because it's another way of saying that this isn't the gods as you understand them yeah. because in the Norse mythology as well as in like, you know, in the Greek mythology, Zeus never worries about which one of his sons is going to take his throne when he's too old because he doesn't age. Right. That's just kind of the conception we have of like Norse gods or, or Roman gods or Greek gods or whatever. And I remember always thinking like Odin's eternal. Why would he ever like need to hand over the throne to someone else? Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that would have helped to, to ground that a bit. Ryan, from you, any other kind of last comments in this uh, whole batch of media we've watched the last few minutes? No, like I, I, I really, I really, as a whole, love these deleted scenes. Um, I think it's just like some of them were like a, you can kind of see why they deleted them in certain areas where there was dialogue. Um, you know, they wanted to keep that secret because you know you can't reveal too much of Marvel. You got to find the Easter eggs yourself. So, um, but yeah, overall, yeah, I really like this was, this was probably of the intro, like one of my favorite minutes. Cause you were finally starting to feel like you were getting something, you know, as far as like some of the characters, cause a lot of it's just like very grand and all these huge buildings. You're like, okay, well, where's the, the human mm-hmm. side? Like where the people, you know, like where the people at? So you kind of get a little bit of sense, even though, you know, I'm with Andy, like some of these characters, like we got these deleted scenes, but in the actual movie, they took a lot of it out. So you're still kind of like trying to piece together, like where the characters fit and everything like that. But, um, at least I got us a little step closer a step closer there so definitely definitely well thank you as always so much for being our guest uh for our listeners who want to learn more about you and hear more your thoughts on all things nerdy uh where can they go um black girl nerds on all your social media platforms um also want to plug our youtube page and our rgtv on instagram um because we do a lot of like entrepreneurs on our instagram page um if you're into if you have um into reality tv at all if that's your guilty pleasure i've done a lot of those interviews um lately on (laughs) on instagram so if you want to check a lot of those out um but yeah on our youtube page we're always current with whatever shows like like i said everybody has a streaming service so whatever show is out right now we're also constantly in the um um, in the press room trying to get you guys interviews so definitely check that out but yeah on everywhere you can find um, Black Girl Nerds or where you can find podcasts Black Girl Nerds is there so and you know thank you guys again like I truly enjoy just talking anything Marvel so I appreciate you guys reaching out well thank you you, you were making our job a lot easier because you're helping us kind of move along I love the points you're bringing and it's just been so great so thank you so much to you thank you to our audience and tune in tomorrow and have a great day until next time True Believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. 
And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for the show. 